Preface, Introduction, and Epistle Dedicatory of The Characters of Theophrastus. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Wales. The Characters of Theophrastus by Theophrastus. Preface, Introduction, and Epistle Dedicatory. Preface. This translation of the characters of Theophrastus is intended not for the narrow circle of classical philologists, but for the larger body of cultivated persons who have an interest in the past. Within the last century, only three English translations of the characters have appeared, one by Howell, London, 1824, another by Isaac Taylor, London, 1836, the third by Professor Jebb, London, 1870. All of these have long been out of print, a fact that seemed to justify the preparation of the present work. The text followed has been, in the main, that of the edition published in 1897 by the Leipziger Philologische Gesellschaft. A few coarse passages have been omitted, and occasionally a phrase necessary to the understanding of the context has been inserted. Apart from this, the translators have aimed to render the original with as much precision and fidelity as is consistent with English idiom. Charles E. Bennett, William A. Hammond, Ithaca, New York, August 1902. Introduction what stories are new asked thackeray subtle observer of men all types of all characters march through all fables tremblers and boasters victims and bullies dupes and knaves long-eared neddies giving themselves leonine airs tartuffes wearing virtuous clothing lovers and their trials their blindness their folly and constancy with the very first page of the human story do not love and lies too begin so the tales were told ages before Aesop, and asses under lion's manes roared in Hebrew, and sly foxes flattered in Etruscan, and wolves in sheep clothing gnashed their teeth in Sanskrit, no doubt. The sun shines today as he did when he first began shining, and the birds in the tree overhead, while I am writing, sing very much the same note they have sung ever since there were finches there may be nothing new under and including the sun but it looks fresh every morning and we rise with it to toil hope scheme laugh struggle love suffer until the night comes and quiet and then we'll wake morrow and the eyes that look upon it and so de capo all this is very true the changes which may be observed in human nature are small and the old types of theophrastus are all about us nowadays and really look and act much the same as they did to the eyes of the ancient peripatetic offices and institutions have somewhat changed and many character types due to new vocations have come into being since then e g the newsboy the bishop the reporter the hotel clerk and the jockey but these are only accidents of civilization, and the peculiarities of office or the type or professional character do not touch the vital essence of human nature, although they may modify its expression. When one speaks of a coward, one means an intrinsic quality in humankind, which is essentially the same whether found in a hoplite or in a modern infantryman, but which may express itself differently in the two cases. 
the types described by theophrastus are types of such intrinsic qualities and his pictures of ancient vices and weaknesses show men much as we see them now they are not merely types of professions or callings apart from slight variations of local coloring and institutions the descriptions of the old greek philosopher might apply almost as well to the present inhabitants of london or boston as to the athenians of three hundred b c then as now the flatterer plied his wily trade indulging in smooth compliment of his hero's person or actions as he walks with an acquaintance he says behold how the eyes of all men are turned upon you there is not a man in the city who enjoys so much notice as yourself yesterday your praises were the talk of the porch while above thirty men were sitting there together and the conversation fell upon the topic who is our noblest citizen they all began and ended with your name if his friend essay a jest the flatterer laughs and stuffs his sleeve into his mouth as though he could not contain himself but the flatterer of old could be subtle too he buys apples and pears carries them to his hero's house and gives them to the children and in the presence of their father he kisses them exclaiming chips of the old block and while his talk is directed to others in the company his eye is ever fixed upon his hero then as now there existed the officious man always over ready to undertake the impossible or to interfere in the affairs of others at a banquet he forces the servants to mix more wine than the guests can drink if he sees two men in a quarrel he rushes in between even though he knows neither one if the doctor leaves instructions that no wine be given the patient he administers just a little on the plea that he wants to set the sufferer right there existed of course then as now the tactless person who selects a man's busiest hour for a lengthy conference and who sings love ditties under his sweetheart's window as she lies ill of a fever at a wedding he declaims against womankind and when a friend has just finished a journey he invites him to go for a walk if he happens to be standing by when a slave is flogged he tells the story of how he once flogged a slave of his who then went and hanged himself there was the mean man too who if his servant broke a pot or plate deducted its value from the poor fellow's rations he permits no one to take a fig from his garden or cross his field or even to pick up windfalls under his fruit trees he forbids his wife to lend salt or lamp wicks or a pinch of cumin marjoram or meal observing that these trifles make a large sum in a year there was also the thankless man whose pessimism is so gloomy as to cloud all view of his blessings when a friend has sent him something from his table he says to the servant who brings it he grudged me a dish of soup and a cup of wine i suppose and so couldn't invite me to dinner if he secures a slave at a bargain after long dickerings with the owner he says i imagine i haven't got much at this price and to the person who brings him glad tidings that a son is born to him he retorts if you only add and half your fortune's gone you'll hit it then we have the man who is ostentatious in trivial things when he has sacrificed an ox he winds up the head and horns with fillets and nails them up opposite the entrance of his house when he parades with the cavalry he gives all his accoutrement to his squire to carry home and throwing back his mantle stalks proudly about the market-place in his spurs 
when he is master of the Prytany, he craves the privilege of announcing to the people the result of the sacrifice and as soon as he has delivered to the people the momentous intelligence that the sacrifice has resulted well he hides him home and recounts his triumph to his wife in an ecstasy of joy the foregoing are but illustrations of the happy skill with which theophrastus has delineated a number of character types which are as universal as human nature and know no limits of age or of country here and there we meet a type in the greek for which we have no exact counterpart in our customary modern modes of thought such a type may be seen in theophrastus the disagreeable man a person who seems a sort of general nuisance with a touch of the boar and the braggart as a rule however the types are singularly like those we know to-day and it is not difficult at once to provide them with appropriate modern labels the treatment though almost invariably brief is invariably vigorous and trenchant with a few bold strokes the character is drawn there is absolutely no pretense of style as we ordinarily understand it yet each type is in its way a gem through them all runs that fidelity to truth which was the unfailing inspiration of all greek art it is this which makes the characters a unique creation and vindicates their position as a part of the world's literature it is largely for this reason that these slight sketches are here produced in english exhibiting as they do when we compare them with what we see around us the essential identity of human nature in ages widely separated from each other in time and manners there is furthermore an accidental interest in the work of theophrastus due to the fact that it is the first recorded attempt at systematic character writing characters to be sure are portrayed in homer and in the tragedians but they are incidental to the narrative or to the dramatic plot whereas in theophrastus the business is with the delineation of a character as such he tells us what a man does simply as an illustration of what he is and this method of writing had a very intimate bearing on the evolution of the new comedy under the leadership of menander there is a tradition in fact that theophrastus was the teacher of menander who in turn furnished models for terence in his delineation of conventional dramatic types the influence of theophrastus was further directly and potently exerted on the so-called character writers of the seventeenth century in england and france the simple methods of these character writers and their uninvolved sketches were succeeded by the more elaborate art of the novelists in whose works individuals rather than types are described by exhibiting their development in long periods of time and under great diversity of circumstances we have little information as to the personal history of theophrastus beyond what we learn from the extant fragments of his writings and from the meagre biography of diogenes of laertes he was born at eresus a village on the island of lesbos in three seventy one b c and his father was one melantas a fuller by trade he first went to school to alcippus in his native island but afterwards travelled to athens the intellectual metropolis and became a pupil of plato at the academy with whom he appears to have studied until the master's death theophrastus was then in his twenty-fifth year 
at that time he attached himself to aristotle who was some twelve years his senior and who had also been a member of the academy until plato died scrivens during the twelve years which elapsed from the death of plato until aristotle established the new school of the lyceum in three thirty five b c theophrastus was probably with his new leader at least part of the time in stagira or at the macedonian court where the youthful alexander was under the tutorial discipline of aristotle theophrastus was an intimate friend of callisthenes the unfortunate fellow-student and companion of alexander and it is probable that the two studied together at pella the story is told that aristotle in speaking of these two pupils said callisthenes needs a spur but theophrastus a bridle many years later when aristotle was dead and cassander see character seven had gained control of alexander's throne theophrastus was invited to an office at the court where he had spent his student days and ptolemy soter cassander's political ally sent him an invitation to the court of egypt but he declined these calls into the social and political world and maintained steadfastly his devotion to philosophy it was a fashion for the rectors or presidents of the great schools of athens such as the Cynosarges, the academy and the lyceum before their death to name their successors in office and so when aristotle was asked who should succeed him in the presidency of the lyceum tradition tells of the delicate way in which he left record of his wish his two most distinguished pupils were theophrastus of lesbos and eudemus of rhodes aristotle replied to the question as to his successor by asking for two sorts of wine lesbian and rhodian after tasting of them he said they are both excellent but the lesbian is the sweeter thereby it was known that he had decided in favor of theophrastus who on the death of aristotle three twenty two b c succeeded to the presidency of the lyceum over which he continued to preside for thirty-five years his administration was one of almost unparalleled success. Diogenes Laertius reports that 2,000 students thronged to him. Although not born at Athens, he was one of the most popular and beloved members of that somewhat exclusive community. This is illustrated by the story of Agonides, who preferred against him a charge of atheism, a charge similar to that which brought Socrates to martyrdom and drove Aristotle into exile and caused his early death. But instead of injuring Theophrastus, Agonides narrowly escaped paying a fine for his folly. Amongst his contemporaries, Theophrastus was a great personal force by reason of his amiable character, his charities and lavish benefactions, the amenity of his manners, his great erudition, and gifts of oratory. He died in 287 BC in the 85th year of his age, and Diogenes Laertius says that the whole population of Athens, honoring him greatly, followed him to the grave. Theophrastus was one of the greatest polygraphs of antiquity. Two hundred and twenty-seven works are attributed to him. The range of his learning is similar to that of Aristotle's, and with the emphasis laid rather more strongly on the side of natural science. His genius, however, is not marked by Aristotle's profundity. He served his age rather as a great popularizer of science, 
he was not an originator of epoch-making ideas or theories yet as a local and popular force he surpassed aristotle his influence on subsequent ages however is less marked of the two hundred and twenty seven works containing two hundred and thirty two thousand nine hundred and eight lines attributed to theophrastus fragments of nine only are now extant excluding certain insignificant remains it is doubtless true however that he influenced his own time as much by his administrative ability in the conduct of the lyceum and by his oral utterances as by his written treatises his prodigious industry was no doubt partially inspired by aristotle as well as by the swift stirring movement of the age immediately preceding and following the death of alexander in which his literary manhood was passed time he says is the most valuable thing a man can spend he expressed his sense of the value of order in the apothem better trust a horse without bridle than a discourse without arrangement his estimate of oral converse at table is recorded in a rather brusque and unathenian remark said to have been made by him to a silent neighbour at dinner sir if you are an ignorant man your conduct shows wisdom but if you are a wise man you act like a fool the genuinely kind character of theophrastus however is amply illustrated by the provisions of his will which evidences also his very considerable wealth he had inherited from aristotle the largest private library then known this library to which he had himself made notable additions he bequeathed to neleus his nephew theophrastus never married and by neleus it was taken to asia minor where it was hidden in a cellar to avoid the rapacity of the agents of the attalid dynasty who were seizing all available books for the royal library at pergamon and hereby hangs the curious old story of the loss of aristotle's works for one hundred and fifty years until they were rediscovered worm-eaten in the cellar of neleus at skepsis a museum temple of the muses had been built by theophrastus as the home of the lyceum in his will he provided that this should be maintained and beautified that statues of the illustrious dead particularly of aristotle should be completed for which commissions had already been given to the renowned sculptor praxiteles further that tablets with maps of the world engraved on them should be erected in the lower colonnade in acknowledgment of the claims of religion he also directed that an altar should be placed there he devised the garden promenade and houses adjoining the garden to the joint control of hipparchus neleus strato and their successors as a trust enjoining that a school of philosophy should be maintained in them and that the property should never be alienated from this purpose nor claimed as private possession after piously making provision for certain friends and the support of faithful attendants he further directed that he should be buried in the school garden without unnecessary expense or ceremony theophrastus is more generally known for his character sketches than for his scientific work although his treatises on botany represented the highest attainments made by science in that field during antiquity and the middle ages 
the treatise here translated sets forth thirty types of character striking to the greek mind they are probably a fragment or extract made by some epitomator from a larger treatise which was suggested by the abstract ethical analyses of aristotle as exhibited in the nicomachean ethics and by the concrete dramatic representations of the new comedy the stage suggests the form and aristotle's treatise the content they represent moral and social defects and weaknesses though not revolting vices but they do this in a mimetic way by exhibiting persons as acting or speaking theophrastus was a contemporary of philemon and menander and his life was spent in the era of the revival of comedy and the elaboration of current moral types for humorous presentation on the stage so the characters of theophrastus are as it were dramatis personae of his time he shows us how a given type of man speaks and acts the dramatization of his characters would require scarcely anything more than stage setting his portrayal is not satire but imitation not caricature but realistic delineation from life moreover this description of generic types rather than of individuals belongs to the literary fashion of his age looked at from this mimetic point of view the characters of theophrastus are historically all the more important because our knowledge of menander the tenth muse is so meagre resting as it does upon scanty greek fragments and a few latin adaptations these thirty sketches at the beginning of the post-classical age do not represent, properly speaking, vices, and yet they were vices to the mind of the Greek, who measured his morality largely by the canons of good form. Any violation of good taste or breach of courtesy was morally vicious. The disposition was to maintain in close unity the natures of beauty and goodness. Moderns discriminate sharply between the aesthetic and the moral the social virtues of gentle breeding and the graces of politeness toward their fellow-men had for the classical greeks an ethical nature as is witnessed in aristotle's ethics manners and morals were not sundered what we call a social weakness or defect or boorish crudity theophrastus called a vice it is necessary to bear this in mind when one reads the moral characters as they are called in the greek title amongst these characters there are no virtues and one may ask why is it that in his portrayal of types theophrastes has altogether omitted any description of good men the answer is not to be found in the supposition that such characters were originally included in the work but have since perished the real ground for the omission is probably to be discovered in the nature of the conditions under which theophrastus wrote these as we have already indicated were closely connected with the development of the new comedy the portrayal of a good character may be edifying and may serve the conditions of tragedy but it does not suit the purposes or surroundings of the comic stage where the ludicrous elements of weak eccentric or faulty personalities are the materials employed 
the aim of theophrastus is both to amuse and to instruct but his instruction is given by exposing to ridicule certain faults which he elevates into the striking tangibility of concrete character the serious dignity and excellence of the good man while it may suit the heroic conditions of the epic the grave purpose of tragedy or the aims of moral allegory offers no material for such sketches as these theophrastus has no concern either with the grossly immoral or with the helplessly weak the former awaken only disgust and hate while the latter stir only feelings of pity and neither of these emotions can be kept active in the true art of comedy rightly speaking the art of theophrastus has to do only with folly or with such eccentricities and weaknesses as have a humorous aspect and it is only moral imperfections of this sort that we actually find in the characters as to the serious function of instruction which theophrastus no doubt aims to combine with that of entertainment there is no more skilful mode of inducing moral betterment than the discovery and exposure of the ludicrous most men would rather incur the charge of immorality than be exposed to the belittling laugh or derision of a community they would rather be rogues than fools the portrait painter of moral life makes use of the ludicrous when he desires to catch the popular attention and there is nothing one may safely say that makes society at large prick up its ears and fall to gossiping so much as a satire in which some well-known person is subjected to ridicule moral folly is much the same everywhere it is only the fool's costume that changes in different countries the folly of the miser is seen in his cheating himself of the real goods of life and in robbing himself of the respect of his fellows the folly of the coward in gaining personal safety by losing reputation for manliness the folly of the flatterer in his shallow self-serving which men see through while they nudge their fellows and laugh at his weakness the folly of the vain man in the way in which he assumes impressive proportions to his own magnifying eye while to others his personality looks as small as it is the folly of the tactless man in consulting his own convenience rather than his neighbours whereby he becomes a butt for his gaucherie the folly of the boor in his trampling awkwardly on the established usages of the polite world and thereby drawing upon himself the smilingly derisive attention of all observers throughout the list these characters represent some type of social foible or folly in regard to the literary art of theophrastus as exhibited in these sketches it must be looked at from the standpoint of an innovation in greek letters it is rare that any man both begins and perfects an art there is nothing in the world so interesting as a character but there is also nothing that is so difficult to portray briefly theophrastus was an acute observer and he was a plain realist his art consists in the truthfulness of his vision and in the direct simplicity with which he gives it expression he does not seek to create a laugh by exaggeration or by the trick of a ludicrous situation that has no moral significance his art is not possible without wit keenness and fineness of feeling there is no exhibition of the satirist lash but his criticism is made with that geniality which is more telling than the severest invective 
these are not individual portraits they lack therefore the detailed finish of such a portrait as is given in the much elaborated modern novel with its varied facilities for exhibiting the individuality of one or several persons on the contrary these are merely outline sketches as theophrastus himself calls them and are descriptive of a class not of an individual a simple line however does not constitute a sketch to exhibit a character the sketch must not only be clear but complete the coward e g is sketched in his fear at sea where his timid imagination invents dangers and he wishes to be put ashore he is sketched on the field of battle where he tries to impress his comrades by a courage that he does not feel but when he hears the shouts of war and sees the soldiers fall he shrinks faint-hearted to his tent and there searches for the sword he has himself hid and again when the danger is over he resumes his bold exterior and proclaims his daring rescue of a comrade we have here a pictorial sketch which with its life and action appeals to the reader's eye the coward is shown from various points of view always in new lights but he is always the coward the canons of this species of literary art may be summarized as follows one faithfulness to reality the character must be an accurate report of nature and not a caricature it must be executed in the spirit of realism two brevity it must be slight and swift essentially of the nature of a sketch three humor it must have the sprightliness of statement that amuses while it instructs four type it must be illustrative of a generic or typical fault in other words the character must give embodiment to some fault that touches human nature in an essential and universal way five concreteness the fault as an abstraction must be translated by the artist's power into a concrete personal form the foible must be revealed in a genre picture of a living personality since theophrastus this form of character writing has been cultivated at various times but it flourished most amongst the minor essayists of the seventeenth century it is of too slight a nature in itself to make a serious impression on any literary epoch it suited however the temper of the seventeenth century as the sprightly essay possessing no serious depth and aiming to touch life at many points the chief imitators of theophrastus and exponents of character writing at this time were bishop hall bishop earl sir thomas overbury nicholas breton samuel butler and la bruyere bishop hall contrary to the example of theophrastus includes virtues as well as vices in his book entitled characters of virtues and vices london sixteen o eight in the general structure of his composition he follows the model of theophrastus closely in the description of vices however he is much more entertaining than in his sketches of virtues which are rather homilies and as the panegyrics of a tedious preacher provoke one to yawn virtue is not fitting material for this species of writing 
the brilliant but ill-starred sir thomas overbury in his characters or witty descriptions of the properties of sundry persons london sixteen fourteen went through eighteen editions departs from the usage of theophrastus in depicting for the most part amusing accidents of character and humorous peculiarities of trades and professions bishop earl on the other hand in his microcosmography london sixteen twenty eight confined his character delineation to mores hominum to ethical types of men as such in a spirit similar to that of his greek model the best known of all the imitators of theophrastus if he can be called an imitator at all is la bruyere in his les caractères ou les meurs de la siècle paris sixteen eighty eight the caractères of la bruyere are really satires on certain thinly disguised contemporaries of his own and are executed in a spirited method totally different from that of theophrastus but to which a translation of the characters of theophrastus is added la bruyere was a lover of the ancient classics although his translation or paraphrase was hardly more than a pretext for writing down his own description of the manners of his time it furnished him perhaps the first suggestion and the first impulse to the portrayal of the vices and weaknesses of his contemporaries on a much larger scale than theophrastus had attempted epistle dedicatory theophrastus to polycles many a time ere now i have stopped to think and wonder i fancy the marvel will never grow less why it is that we greeks are not all one in character for we have the same climate throughout the country and our people enjoy the same education i have studied human nature a long time my dear polythes for i have lived nine and ninety years i have conversed with many men of diverse characters and have been at great pains to observe both good and bad i have fancied therefore i ought to set down in writing how men live and act i shall describe their characters each after its kind and show you their besetting weaknesses i dare say polycles our children will be the better if we leave them memorials of this sort and as they study these patterns of good and ill they will elect i think to live and hold communion with men of the highest type in this way they will strive to maintain the level of the highest i turn now to my task yours it is to follow me and see if what i say is true i begin my book with a description of the dissembler omitting any preface and details about the word and first of all i shall lay down a definition of dissembling and with this in view shall describe the dissembler in his character and manner of life exhibiting in such clearness as i can his various traits End of a preface and introductory material.